From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast, season 12. Hello, everybody. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. I help startups stand apart from their competition and stand out to their audience with storytelling, messaging, and pitches that perform. In this podcast, you'll hear my conversations with startup leaders from around the globe as they share a slice of their company's story, stories on growth, scale, successes, and failures, all to help you and your company grow up and ultimately stand out. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to invite you to join the email newsletter that doesn't suck. That's right. If you head to startuphypeman.com and enter your email address, first you'll get my free SaaS masterclass, but you'll also get updates whenever you release new episodes, plus my storytelling tips and advice periodically throughout the month, and helpful resources from Startup Hype Man partners. It's the newsletter that doesn't suck, available at startuphypeman.com. All right. Speaking of things that don't suck, let's begin today's episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone from Lucknow, Uttar Pradesh, India, and currently residing in Bangalore, India. She is the CEO and co-founder of Wingman. Please welcome Shruti Kapoor. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Shruti Kapoor, welcome to the podcast. I am excited to have you on as our guest today. Shruti is the co-founder and CEO of Wingman. As I just mentioned, what is Wingman? Well, they are an emerging startup that is unlocking insights from voice conversations to improve sales interactions. So think about maybe you're on a demo call with a customer. They can essentially, with their software, give you live feedback and coaching on how you're doing on that call to ultimately improve the outputs and results. Shruti and her startup Wingman entered and survived Y Combinator. And that is why our topic today is surviving Y Combinator. Shruti, can you give us just a tease of, of, of what your experience in Y Combinator was like? It was absolutely mind-boggling um, for two reasons. One is because you feel that you know so much about Y Combinator when you go in because there's so much content out there. And at the same time, when you go in there, you still get surprised. Um, and I would say it was, it was good and it was difficult. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to learn all about that. And I'm sure a lot of the people listening are thinking about if Y Combinator may be right for them, if they consider applying. So this will be a very educational episode. Before we learn about the Y Combinator side of things, I'm curious to know in your own personal or professional background, uh, do you recall what your first entrepreneurial experience was? <laughs> Um, yeah, I was in university. I went to university in Singapore and uh, with some of my uh, seniors and batchmates, we were thinking of building something similar to Dropbox back in 2000 something. And uh, yeah, that was kind of our first entrepreneurial experience. We wrote a bunch of, uh, you know, we, we wrote business plans. We went and applied to a bunch of competitions. Uh, and that is kind of how it all started. Um, of course, I didn't go very far with that idea uh, at that stage, uh, but it was, uh, you know, it gave me my first taste of what uh, entrepreneurship looked like and what uh, investors wanted to see in ideas as well. Yeah. And, you know, with that in mind, did you 
pursue that further? Did you, maybe you graduated and you decided, uh, you know what, actually we don't need to be going after this. What happened with that? Yeah. So that was, uh, not something that I pursued further. Uh, I actually decided at that point to figure out whether I wanted to do a PhD in life sciences, uh, and went down that path for a little bit. Um, but yeah, eventually took the route of uh, joining an investment bank and uh, working in the financial industry for a decade before I eventually got back to doing entrepreneurship again with Big Man. Very nice. Very nice. So as your career progressed, you ended up spending time at uh, Morgan Stanley, as well as a couple other, I would say, pit stops along the way to ultimately developing Wingman. Can you take us through then what was the initial idea? And originally it was called Strings AI. So what led you to think of this concept of, of strings in the first place? Absolutely. So it all kind of started at my previous job. Uh, so the idea, as you said, right, it focuses on sales and sales calls. Uh, in my previous role at a company called Payoneer, uh, I was looking at uh, figuring out their go-to-market strategy and heading their sales team in India. And during that experience, I discovered a few blind spots that I as a sales manager and as a salesperson felt. Uh, and one of them was just the fact that CRM data sucks and CRM suck. Uh, nobody likes entering data into the CRM. And what it means is that 95% of the information just goes missing. Oof. Um, and so that's how I started thinking about the idea initially to say, hey, so where can I find all of that data? Uh, because the only answer that a CRM can give me is 80% of the leads are not qualified. It doesn't tell me why they are not qualified um, or, you know, a bunch of second level questions that you would want to know as a business uh, person. Uh, and so that's kind of where the journey started. We called it strings.ai. Um, and then uh, as we evolved, what we figured was that while it's great to understand what's going on in the sales call, uh, one of the main uh, things that you would want to do with a sales call is to really figure out how to help the salesperson. And, uh, you know, then we kind of uh, thought about what that should look like, uh, what a real-time assistant for a salesperson could be. And, of course, uh, Wingman made a lot more sense when we looked at it that way. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we are helping uh, salespeople co-pilot sales calls. Very nice, very nice. Can you talk about how you pulled together, you know, your co-founder? So, where did you find your founding team and how did you come together on the idea? Yeah, it's, it's always a tough one. Um, so I, you know, uh, for more than a decade had that seed of wanting to do something on my own in the brain. And uh, uh, a few years back, my co-founder, uh, I met him through a common friend. He was actually moving back from the Bay Area to India with the purpose of starting up. Uh, he had worked, spent nearly a decade working for Google uh, and previously for a startup which got acquired by Google. Um, and so, you know, we hit it off. Uh, we started immediately thinking about ideas that we could work on together. Um, you know, we, we ideated for maybe a year, just bouncing off different things and then eventually started up with Bingman. Uh, and so we had three co-founders today. My other co-founder, uh, Shrieker, he was... Uh, again, uh, somebody that uh, Murli knew very well. And so that's how the three of us came together. Awesome. So Wingman, formerly known as Strings, is a relatively new company. We're doing this call in November of 2019. Wingman or Strings originally started at the around the beginning of 2018. 
How did Y or middle even? Yeah. So middle of 2018. So even younger than uh, I was giving credit for. So when and how did Y Combinator come into the picture? Did someone tell you about it? And you said, oh, this would be a great opportunity. Did you just have in your mind always like, oh, this would be a perfect startup that would go through their cohort? How did you, how did the Y Combinator come into the picture? Yeah, so we, uh, we of course, knew about Y Combinator uh, from before, given that both my founders had lived in the Valley. It's kind of hard not to know. Um, and then when we were, but what was difficult for us to figure out was when is the right time to apply for Y Combinator? And uh, also, uh, what does that experience get you? Like, when do you go in so that you, one, can get in, and two, uh, you can maximize your experience out of the program um so we applied for it in may of uh, like we applied for it in april of this year and then we had the interviews in may and the program started in june uh, uh, but uh, you know the way we kind of decided on it was uh, two things one is uh, we went through a journey where we figured that us was the right market for our product uh, at least to start with and so we definitely wanted to uh, spend more time here, meet with customers here, uh, meet with investors here. And uh, that kind of was a big part of making the decision that we should, uh, you know, uh, spend time uh, maybe at an accelerator in the U.S. that can also help us bridge some of those things. Uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of uh, what triggered it. Sure. Take us through the application process. It's, yeah, I mean, so much has been written about it, but still when you go through it, a uh, few of the things that really stand out is how much time they really spend in understanding the founders, uh, their backgrounds. Like they have some crazy questions, like, you know, apart from the startup, what are the, uh, you know, what are some of the crazy things you've done that you're proud of? Or mm. uh, they even have a question which says, if not for this idea, what other idea would you have applied with? Um, so, it's amazing how much of the focus is really not just on the business that you're building, but on you as founders. Um, and, um, you know, while you see a lot of uh, companies that get spoken and written about coming out of the Y Combinator cohort might seem like they're, you know, already later stage that they've probably been working on the idea for a long time. Uh, what's amazing is that a lot of the companies that go through the program are actually really early stage. Uh, and the reason why these questions become so material is because a lot of times they even pivot during those three months. Um, so if you have a few backup ideas in your pocket, it helps. Sure, sure. Um, Do you remember when, so they ask you the question, what are the other crazy things you've done in your life? What was your response? <laughs> so uh, at one point, so I was a life science graduate and I had considered going into a PhD down that path. So one of the things I'd done was reared a bunch of, uh, spiders from the wild to uh, study their <laughs> web making patterns uh, using a laser Doppler ribometer. Anyways. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, and spiders weave webs and your original startup name was strings. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you get into Y Combinator. What type of prep are you given before day one, if anything? Um. So I think you get a founders meetup, uh, which so the Y Combinator uh, process. So after the application, you go through an interview and uh, pretty much at the end of that same day, the day you do your interview, you know the results of whether you've made it or not. Uh, and typically at the, you know, the, 
day after or so, they organize a meetup for all the founders from that set of interviews. Uh, and uh, that's kind of pretty much the only thing you get uh, in terms of, you know, getting ready for the program. Um, of course, as international founders, for us, getting ready for the program meant, um, you know, relocating to the Bay Area for nearly three months. Um, for me and for my co-founders, that also meant leaving your family behind, uh, in my case, with a baby uh, for that period uh, and figuring out all the logistics wow. for it. So, yeah. And how, how young is your child? Uh, he's going to be four now. Okay. Wow. So that must have been tough then to have to leave for, for, three, month, for a three month stretch, right? Yeah, it was tough. Uh, but we kind of straddled uh, the two countries and the two time zones. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you come out of that founder meetup. What's your mindset at this point? Are you like excited? Are you scared? Are you thinking we're going to come out of this with a completely different company? What, what are you thinking about at that point? So it's funny, I actually didn't make it to the founders meetup because I was flying to New York the day uh, the interview ended because okay. I had a conference here to attend. And uh, so I actually found out about uh, the fact that we had gotten into Y Combinator while I was in transit uh, in Frankfurt. And the immediate reaction was, uh, you know, 30 seconds of, oh, wow, we really made it. So, oh, shit, what are the logistics that I need to take? <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, besides that, we kind of didn't have too much of mental bandwidth to figure out, uh, you know, in terms of preparation for Y Combinator. Um, what we were pretty sure of was that uh, we'll probably have a very different perspective on our company by the end of those three months. Uh, and the reason for that was that just going through that process of writing up the application and going through the interviews uh, we had already gained so much uh, because that had forced us to focus uh, so much on what were the difficult questions that we as founders hadn't really bothered to address because you're sometimes so busy in like making the product, talking to customers that uh, you kind of don't uh, take the time to consolidate all of the inputs and figure out what's the bigger picture. So now, we already knew that that's what Y Combinator uh, those three months would help us do, which is just spend time with each other as founders uh, and uh, figure out the bigger picture and the direction for the business. Once you get in there, is, is the setup, you know, I've seen video, it's kind of like you're in like a lecture hall essentially, right? And I think, I don't know what university, but um, is it like five days a week? You're there from 8 to eight a.m. to 5 p.m. How does it actually logistically break out? Yeah, so it's actually really lightweight, um, which is uh, good and unnerving at the same time. Um, so the program itself only consists of you doing a weekly uh, lecture with uh, alumni or a, or a founder. Um, and so that's like a founder talk, which goes on for maybe an hour and a half, followed by Q&A. Uh, and they, of course, uh, don't necessarily have a briefing for the founder who's talking. It's just supposed to be their free-form experience and lessons that they have learned in their journey. Um, and besides that, you do a group office hour, which is once every fortnight. And the group office hour is like, you know, somewhere around eight companies with three Y Combinator partners sitting around a table and talking about, uh, you know, progress they've made in the last two weeks, what's top of mind. Uh, what are some of the challenges they're struggling with? And that's those two things are pretty much the only things that are uh, fixed 
for you uh, and everything else uh, that you get from the experience is what you build off the experience. Um, and so what that consists of is uh, the fact that you can book office hours uh, with any of the Y Combinator partners. Uh, you can kind of figure out what are the things that are priority for you in that moment and you can actually do a focused uh, discussion with the partners on that and then you can kind of keep track of it. Uh, but the overall experience is just built around uh, that weekly lecture and the fortnightly group office hours. What kinds of challenges do you recall early on that you were bringing up in those office hour or in those group coaching call conversations? Right. So for us, uh, a couple of things. So one was, of course, uh, figuring out uh, how to reach out to potential customers. And you could get uh, advice as tactical as, hey, this is the content of the emails that I've been sending. Would you mind giving me feedback on whether that make, makes sense? Uh, or it was uh, at a higher level, uh, like, you know, should we do a, a launch on product hunt? And what, what does that involve? Um, and then, of course, we also renamed ourselves to Wingman during that period. Uh, and that was, again, uh, you know, some handholding that we got from our Y Combinator partner around it. Um, and then there were, you know, other types of things uh, which were negotiating with our existing investors, figuring out uh, our fundraising strategy post Y Combinator, um, all of those things that we also got feedback on. Right, right. Now, curriculum-wise, you're, you're saying, you know, this is once a week, more or less lectures or talks from alumni and partners of the program. Is it like, hey, week one, the topic is this. Week two, the topic is this. Or is it more that person's going to come in and riff on something that, that's on their mind for that week or that day? Yes, it's, um, it's a combination of both, uh, right? So they, of course, start out with a foundation-laying set of lectures, which is like a two-day workshop at the start of the program. And that's very agenda driven. So you have, and you can choose a track based on, uh, you know, uh, which technology and what maturity level you are in. Uh, and then uh, the weekly talks by founders broadly, uh, you know, I think they have an underlying theme, uh, but it's really supposed to be free from whatever is top of mind for them. So for example, we had a panel discussion around failure where they brought in uh, four or five different founders who had had what looked outwardly like successes uh, to a lot of people, but to the founders looked like failures. So there were people who had, you know, uh, maybe raised a bunch of money or people who had, uh, it looked like, you know, reached a really big revenue number, but um, at some point they either failed or they failed just after that. And it was amazing how candid people are during some of those conversations. Uh, and that's really a big learning opportunity, being able to get into that setting with other founders and knowing that the going is always going to be tough, but you're not the only one who's going to have it tough. So, Is there one story in particular that comes to mind for you from what you heard around that topic of failure? Because I think that's something that every, every entrepreneur has that in the back of their head, like <laughs> that failure is definitely a possibility. And I think we're all trying to you know, do our best to cope with that because it, it, it's very unnerving and it, it can be motivational all at the same time. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think a story that uh, was really inspiring uh, and surprising was the story of Pebble. Um, do you know the smartwatch? Yeah, the, uh, the smartwatch, right. Yeah. So um, 
the founder of Pebble is currently a, a partner at Y Combinator, and he talked to us about his journey building that. Um, and, and it was interesting because uh, one is he spent a lot of time figuring out that idea because smartwatches weren't a thing then, right? So he was creating something which was a new category uh, and just figuring out why people would use it, what were the uh, segment of people who would therefore want to use it, etc. All of that was up in the air then. Uh, but one of his big failures was, uh, you know, going through that process initially at Y Combinator and then uh, trying to fundraise uh, was really challenging because nobody, uh, one, wanted to fund something which is in hardware and two, in a category that hadn't even been established. Uh, and uh, it was amazing. Uh, he said that he went to literally every uh, VC out there in the valley and nobody wanted to fund him. And then he woke up one morning uh, saying, hey, you know, uh, there's this thing called Kickstarter. Uh, and he, uh, <laughs> he said that he went to uh, Paul Graham and said, you know, there's this thing called Kickstarter. I'm thinking of putting it up there. And uh, PG was like, oh, you know, I haven't heard of it, but yeah, why not? Uh, and of course, you know, uh, you would say that that was kind of a big turning point, but um, he had like other failures after that. And that was the amazing thing for us. Like he had had, failures before even coming to the idea of doing that Kickstarter campaign. Uh, and the Kickstarter campaign was, of course, a huge, huge success. Uh, but post that, uh, he had a different type of uh, failure, which was uh, just in managing inventory and making sure <laughs> that uh, you're able to figure out what your demand and supply is. And the fact that people, especially in something like this, can be very finicky uh, and short term uh, about their demand uh, right so like one year he scaled up and he did really well but uh, he had kind of used that as a benchmark to project his uh, requirements for the next year and then he was stuck ah. with too much inventory um, so yeah it was it was really inspiring to know that uh, the very simple thing of always listen to your customer and be as close to your customer as you can be is uh, sometimes just really hard for everyone to actually follow. A side add to that uh, Pebble story at the time of that Kickstarter, I remember that because the previous business I was doing, my co-founder for that, he had backed Pebble on Kickstarter. And I remember it took him a long time for the watch to arrive because and that, that's what happens in a lot of these Kickstarter campaigns. They get overfunded and then they, don't, they didn't actually plan for the inventory to make it to them. I had a separate instance where I bought, this was last year, I bought a, you know, one of those pho uh, cell phone stabilizers that like will like oscillate around the phone and it, it removes any shakiness, but it makes it like look like your videos are cool and everything like that. Um, I had bought one of those from a either Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaign. And I think I bought it in, I, I had backed it in April. They said it would ship by July. And then July hit and they sent an email saying it will ship by October. And then October hit and they said it will now ship by January. January hit, they said we guarantee it will ship by the end of March. And then the end of March hit... No, and then it still went into, I think it went into a full year had passed. I think it got into May or even mid, I think mid July of this year. And they sent an email saying, we've gone bankrupt. We can't fulfill any of these orders and you're not getting a refund. And I was pissed, you know, like I'm the customer in that case. And that's, I was, I was furious that I had waited it. Cause I had actually, I had actually delayed shooting a lot of video on my, my end, end until 
I was going to get this thing. And so I was like, well, I feel like I wasted a year. But I, I do know that these Kickstarter and these Indiegogo campaigns on the founder side anyway, it can be tough. You think you know, you're going to get so much, but then you find out manufacturing is not as simple as you had budgeted or accounted for. Yeah. Now, in your case, you're selling software as opposed to hardware. What do you feel you can glean from learning about that story of failure that will apply to Wingman? Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest lesson uh, in that story and across a lot of what uh, we learned from founders' experiences was just uh, being really close to your customers and always making sure that you're listening to what they're saying. Um, Because it's very easy as a founder to have a strong bias of what you think your users want. and, uh, you know, it's, it's important to kind of remove those blinders and uh, li- actually listen to what they want and why they want it, um, because that's the only way you'll progress in deciding what should it be that you're building and how should you be talking about it and who you should be talking to. Did you find, so with that lesson, did you find you came out of that talk and you got together with your co-founders, you said, oh, we need to start doing this like, did you start doing tactical or tangible things differently coming out of that? Um, I don't think it's a one point thing. Like, I think every day we kind of ask ourselves the question, do we need to go back and ask our users a little bit more about this particular thing? Uh, it's like, you know, you build out a set of features because either you thought they were compelling based on what feedback you had received or based on, uh, you know, how you envisioned your product. But as you build it and you put it into production, you might realize people are you know, either using it in a way different from what you had imagined it to be, or they're not using it at all. And at each of those junctures, you kind of need to keep going back and saying, you know, why is this happening? Is it something that I didn't do uh, in the onboarding phase right? Did I not communicate about it right? Or is it just something that people uh, are not going to find useful? Mm. Uh, or is it that a different segment of users is going to find it useful and I just haven't gotten to them yet? Um, so it's it's kind of an ongoing process. I think for us, when we came out of uh, you know that particular talk, our takeaway was uh, very simply that at any point, uh, if you have a dispute w- between your co-founders or between you know your product team and your sales team on what should we be building next, uh, the only person to uh, kind of be in the decision maker spot there is your customer. Right. 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 When you think about your Y Combinator experience as a whole, was it one where you felt pressure while you were in there? Did you feel competition? Did it feel supportive? What, do you, what was the one or two prevailing emotions or mindsets maybe that you had throughout your time? Yeah, it's interesting. You, like initially, we thought you might feel uh, maybe competition because there are so many other companies in a single cohort in Y Combinator, uh, and you're probably going to be kind of comparing against them. But I think what happens uh, really is that they kind of become uh, almost uh, like, you know, your co-runners in a marathon where you also get a lot of inspiration from seeing, uh, you know, other people going through their journey, learning from the mistakes that they are making. Um, And the fact that everybody is having a tough time is a motivator in some sense. and uh, I think so that that is kind of uh, the underlying theme with respect to the other peers. But you do feel a lot of pressure when it comes to uh, the fact that there is a metric that you've committed to that you want to grow week on week. 
during your three months at Y Combinator. And typically the metric that people are encouraged to choose is something around revenue. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. So how are you actually, you know, acquiring new customers? Are they paying you for it yet? And uh, things around that. Um, so it's in that sense, a metric that you don't have full control over. Uh, and it's helping you always get closer to the answer of, uh, you know, am I closer to product market fit? Um, and then, of course, the third uh, type of pressure comes in from all of the investors that you want to talk to and who want to talk to you. And how do you prioritize that? Because uh, especially towards the last part of Y Combinator, you might have like um, maybe close to a hundred investors that you um, have a conversation with, and just managing that can be a pretty uh, tough process as well. We're with Shruti Kapoor, the co-founder and CEO of Wingman, talking how talking about surviving Y Combinator. So, Shruti. You entered Y Combinator at what stage? Oh, you, you entered as strings, right? You ended up pivoting to being called Wingman. Aside from that name pivot, what did you enter with in terms of elements or aspects or assets of the company? And what did you leave with? What kind of improvement or growth was there? Yeah, so uh, just in terms... So uh, we were at a stage where we already had a product. Um, and then there was the real-time aspect of the product that we had just uh, kind of launched, it was still something that we were developing, kind of stabilizing. Um, And during those three months, uh, what we went from was, um, you know, one is we uh, tripled our revenue. uh, And uh, second was we wanted to get people to start using this new product or to start talking to a lot more customers about the real-time aspect of the product. Uh, and so uh, our entire focus in terms of communication, in terms of the branding, uh, the name, everything changed from, uh, you know, talking about call analytics to real-time call coaching. Um, and so that was kind of the big fundamental shift that happened for us. Uh, and of course, uh, the other thing that uh, we learned during those three months was a lot more about our customer and our market because we were just spending so much time here in the U.S. talking to uh, people who we thought were the right customer segment for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with that change in the business or that, that growth and improvement of the business, I should say, what do you see now coming out? Because Y Combinator was earlier this year that you went through the program. When I look at your business, to me, I look at the challenge or the obstacle or whatever, you know, the, the next thing in front of you is if it's call analytics, call recording software, producing insights or real-time insights, well, there's incumbents like Gong, Chorus, and a couple others, um, I believe Dialfox, which is acquired by Showpad. Those are some others in the game that have built up a name. Is that what you're looking at is how do we now slot into that group? Do you think you're something entirely different or you're not even focused on that whatsoever and your main focus is, is something else? Right. Um, so of course you're right that there are uh, competitors in the space. Um, but I think the space as a whole is so new uh, that a lot of focus for us, uh, and again, that's something that we learned at Y Combinator as well is, um, more often than not, you're not going to fail because of competitors. You're going to fail because of what you do or you don't do. 
Uh, and so uh, for us, a lot of the focus is still on um, answering the fundamental questions around uh, you know, what specific things do users uh, want? Uh, what are the contexts in which they're going to find this useful? And therefore, how do you kind of fine tune the product for that? Is it something that people uh, should use when, uh, you know, they're just trying to coach all of their sales team? Or is it something that you want people to use more specifically when they're bringing in new people? Or maybe when they're iterating on their own product features and they want a bunch of feedback on it and they also want to be able to give uh, talking points to people around it um, so it's uh, I think it's a lot more about just being close to your user and understanding what they want and why they want it and I think that uh, while there is definitely competition and I think in today's world every SaaS business has competition uh, right I think what's really important is to just make sure that you're solving a real problem that users find uh, important and useful if someone was not going to go the Y Combinator route, maybe it just wasn't the right situation for them. From the lessons you learned at Y Combinator, what would you recommend they do regardless, even if they're not going to go through that program, if they're building their own startup? Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to have a generic advice. Of course, some of that depends on, um, you know, I think fundamentally, uh, whether or not you're going to be a venture funded startup or you're going to bootstrap your way. Um, and the approach for those two might look very different. Um, but I think one thing uh, that kind of does flow across the board is to make sure that you are, uh, like I've said only a gazillion times during this interview, which is close to your customers yeah, and yeah. really listening to what they're saying. And I think that applies across the board. Um, I think the second thing, uh, if you do decide to go down the path of uh, being a venture-funded startup is to kind of uh, recognize that funding is, uh, you know, it's not a vanity metric that you should be chasing. Uh, it's really something that you should look at as, uh, what do I need to build uh, the business to the next milestone and how do I get that money uh, faster or easier? Uh, especially at the early stage, it shouldn't be about, hey, there's this big name investor that I really want on my uh, cap table and how do I go get that person? Uh, very often, uh, you know, money is green and uh, very often whoever you bring on board is going to add less value than you thought they would. Um, so it's just important that you figure out that as founders, you're going to be the ones that are most important for the business and your bandwidth is the most important thing that the business needs apart from the capital. So you shouldn't, in some sense, splurge your bandwidth away in just having a bunch of investor conversations because it makes you feel important. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought up that point because I have talked to several different founders over the years um, where it's clear to me and how they're talking about what they're doing and the way they're going about building their company that they are using lack of funding now as an excuse to not grow the business on their own anyways, right? They are, they think the, the only way they can advance as a company is if they get money in. They're not looking at how do they still get customers just because they don't have, they may not have automation turned on yet. They may not be able to hire, you know, three salespeople yet, but how can you still get customers today? And this idea of funding, it's, it's, you know, it's, maybe played out a played out statement, but it is to accelerate what you're doing well 
not to start, not to build the car in the first place. Absolutely. And Can you tell us? Go ahead. Go ahead. In in some sense, uh, if you kind of constrain yourself with respect to a particular resource, uh, what it also does is it really helps you figure out your focus. Um, the danger with having money or with having too much money uh, is that you might spread yourself too thin, thinking that if I do these 25 different things, something is going to work. Uh, and also it makes you feel good and important because then somebody asks you, hey, so what's up with the business? You can talk about 25 different things that you've been trying, uh, but you probably don't know which one of them is working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Those are those are definitely good things that other entrepreneurs need to be um, considering. What stage now um, is Wingman at? Uh, you know, can you talk through customer count and what your big focus is here, closing out 2019 and into 2020? Right. So uh, we are still relatively small with respect to the number of uh, companies that we work with today because we are still kind of fine-tuning the product and uh, working closely with our customers to actually define that better. Uh, today, we have a few hundred salespeople on our platform. Uh, using That's pretty good. Every day. Uh, thank you. Um, and for us, the goal, uh, you know, in some sense, the next milestone is um, the mythical product market fit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, but really, that's that's kind of what uh, the next milestone in the journey needs to look like. Um, I think it's still hard to define what product market fit is, uh, really. But I think every day, uh, talking to more customers, getting feedback on how they're using it uh, is helping us get there. Um, and of course, uh, uh, as we uh, go through that journey, it's always going to be a pull between uh, what do we build next and uh, what do we uh, to get new customers and to get closer to the product market fit and what do we build to keep existing customers happy and getting uh, more value out of the product. And uh, while they seem like they should be in line, they're not always in line. There's always a little bit of tussle and I think uh, that's a healthy tussle uh, which you also force yourself to go through if you kind of make sure that you, in some sense, constrain yourself on resources and you don't just go uh, hire madly, uh, you know, people for your product engineering team as well. Well, in the name of product market fit, you should go back and listen to the first episode of this season uh, with Ish Jindal, where the topic was advanced customer segmentation strategies. And he talked through what his company did to achieve what they called product market, not fit, product market clarity, and sort of like the three questions they had to answer to realize they have it or don't have it yet. And then you might also want to listen to last week's episode because we had the content strategy manager of Gong uh, as a guest, Devin Reed, and he walked us through how Gong uses content to get in front of their target customers and, and validate a lot of their ideas. So uh, hopefully, you know, those might be some immediate resources that can help you in your near-term goals. Before we wrap up, can you let our listeners know where they can find Wingman and where they can uh, learn more about the company and get in touch with you? Sure. So Wingman is at trywingman.com. So yeah, go ahead, trywingman. And uh, they can reach me at shruti at trywingman.com. S-H-R-U-T-I at trywingman.com. To close up here, we will each give our 
big takeaway from this conversation are one or two takeaways. I have a feeling I know what yours is going to be because you alluded to before how you said you've said it a gazillion times in this episode. But for me, so our topic today was surviving Y Combinator. To me, the biggest lesson that I've pulled out of this was you said more often than not, you won't fail because of competition. You will fail because of what you did or did not do or you, what you do or you won't do. And I think that's very powerful because a lot of times we look at what else is out there and we kind of just resign to, oh, they're doing it all already. We're, to, we're toast. But I think it's really powerful that you share that. It's not about the competition. It's about what are you doing regardless of them or in response to them. Shruti, your big one or two takeaways from Surviving Y Combinator. My big takeaway from Surviving Y Combinator is focus on the fundamentals. Uh, and it never gets old. Uh, you know, people have these fancy terms, metrics, uh, trends that might show up. But if you just fundamentally focus on who is my customer and why would they care about me, uh, you're probably going to go very far. My final question to close up today's conversation, fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship is blank. Crazy. <laughs> she, she is Shruti Kapoor. She is the co-founder and CEO of Wingman. Shruti, thank you for joining us on today's episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Thank you. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can share this episode with a friend or you can leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast page. When you do that, it boosts us in the search results. And ultimately, that means more entrepreneurs will listen, which means we share the message, we spread the mission and support more entrepreneurs at the end of the day. You don't have to stop with the podcast if you want more. And if you are interested in telling your company's story better across your demo calls to investors and to any audience you seek, well, then why not have a conversation with me? Head to startuphypeman.com, fill out a form there, and let's talk. If you've got recommendations for future guests for the show or you want to be a guest on the show yourself, email media at startuphypeman.com. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man, the podcast. We will see you next time. Hype Man out. Word up. Raise up. Got you howling at the moon. Yeah. This dance Instead of sundown too yeah. This a dance with the devil bro. Tell me what you gonna do no. This a dance with the devil bro. And if you can't get it loose Then they fall into the truth It got you howling at the moon yeah. This a dance with the devil bro. Instead of sundown with the devil